Global law and global business go hand in hand, but never seem to keep pace with each other. The importance on the global stage of developing and developed nations waxes and wanes while consumption and interconnectedness steadily increase, all the while laws and regulations change incessantly, requiring businesses to stay nimble. But how do we make sense of it all? Welcome to Global Law and Business, hosted by Harris Brickens, international business attorneys. I'm Fred Rockefort. And I'm Jonathan Bench. Every week, we take a targeted look at legal and economic developments in locales around the world as we try to decipher global trends in law and business with the help of international experts. We cover continents, countries, regimes, governance, finance, legal developments, and whatever is trending on Twitter. We cover the important, the seemingly unimportant, the relatively simple, and the complex. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Please connect with us on social media to comment and suggest future topics and guests. Joe McCall qualified as a CPA in 1989, and a few years after that, he took over the firm that he worked for, Byrne and Company, which he renamed Byrne and McCall. He has been in business now for almost 30 years. Byrne & McCall are a full-service accounting firm offering audit, tax, compliance, and advisory services. 50% of their business is local, and 50% is advising overseas clients who have a presence in Ireland. They have two locations, one in Dublin and another in Newbridge in County Kildare. Joe is married to Catherine, and they have three sons and one daughter. Joe, welcome to Harris Brickens Global Law & Business. Hi, Fred. Thanks for asking me to join you today. Our pleasure. We like to start off our podcasts by placing our listeners generally in the particular area that we're talking about, uh, whether that's geographical or whether that's thematic. So let's talk a little bit about Ireland and what's happening What's happening there now. Obviously, Brexit is, is still a news story. There's also, there are also some some troubling signs uh, north of the border in, in Northern Ireland. We'd love to hear your perspective as a local regarding those topics, but but feel free to tell us a little bit more if, if you want about what's happening generally in Ireland. We know that there are sometimes news stories that are of quite some importance locally, but don't quite make it to the international news wires. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on, on all of that. Sure, sure. Well, certainly before COVID, it was all about Brexit. And uh, Brexit is a big challenge for Irish companies. And the main reason was because most of their supplies come from the UK. And once the UK left Europe, there was a problem with customs and duties on goods coming into Ireland. So Irish companies had to go looking for their supplies of stock and raw materials in other places around the world. So they had to go to Asia and the US and mainland Europe to get their supplies of raw materials, that they wouldn't have to pay custom charges uh, on their goods. And of course, one of our big markets was the UK and still is. But at the moment, if we are exporting goods to the UK, now because of Brexit, there are certain customs and taxes on those goods. So all this has been a big a big challenge to uh, Irish businesses. But of course, there have been certain opportunities as well, because it has forced Irish companies to go 
looking for new markets, and many of them have been successful in that. Overall, I suppose you could say there have been difficulties and challenges, but lots of opportunities as well. So, Fred, you were just asking me there just to uh, comment on on Brexit and, and Northern Ireland, and, and perhaps in the US you have been seeing some um, TV images of, of people out um, protesting on, on the streets. So what's happening there really is that um, before Brexit, could, goods could come from the UK directly into Northern Ireland without having any customs checks uh, at the border. Uh, but since Brexit and uh, in accordance with what they call the Northern Ireland Protocol, some goods are being stopped uh, at the effectively at the border coming into Northern Ireland and are being subject to customs and, and duty charges. And I suppose the local people up there, at least some of them, are not happy about this because uh, they they see it as goods coming from one part of their own country to another uh, and which are now subject to some, t- some type of, of custom and border control uh, and they're not happy about that. That's why uh, some people have taken to the streets to protest about this. Joe, this is a good segue into our next question. We've been hearing about Ireland as a destination for international companies to, to set up their European headquarters or perhaps to to set up research and development facilities in Ireland. Uh, I wonder if Brexit is having an impact in that regard. Uh, obviously, let's say for a company from uh, the United States or, or from a place like Canada, because of the, the common language and strong cultural ties, I would imagine that Ireland is a logical choice for them to make necessary adjustments if they have to uh, perhaps relocate out of the UK to, to service other European countries. So wondering if, if, if you could talk to that. And, and just um, more, more generally, perhaps you could, you could tell us a, a bit about how easy or not it, it is to, to set up a, a company in Ireland just to compare to other jurisdictions. What are the minimum requirements in, in terms of, of registered capital, in terms of uh, corporate officers? Um, you, do you need a registered agent in Ireland? That, that sort of stuff. Yeah. So first of all, there are many reasons why a U.S. company uh, would establish itself in Ireland. And it's not just about the tax. Obviously, the tax rate of 12.5% is is quite important. But the other reasons are is, is that the, com- the country is English speaking. And this is very important to uh, U.S. companies. So it's easier to do business in an English speaking country. And there's a very, very well-educated uh, workforce here, well-educated, well-trained. And of course, we're very close to Europe. And we're the only English-speaking country in the Eurozone. And all these add up to being Ireland being a very good location for uh, US companies and Asian companies uh, to set up in Ireland. Um, as regards setting up a company and the minimum capital, uh, it's quite easy to set up a, up a company. There is no particular minimum capital. You could set up a company with 100 euros. Uh, you just have to have one director. Now, that director has to be resident in an EEA country, which is basically a European country. Um, 
it must have a company secretary and a registered office. But these are, are all pretty easy obligations to uh, comply with. Um, it's important that the company wouldn't be seen to be a brass plate company or a, or a letterbox company. So it's important that there is substance uh, to the company in Ireland, that it is carrying out real business. And if it is carrying out real business, it won't have any problem in you know, qualifying for the uh, 12.5% rate of corporation tax. And of course, another reason why uh, companies might establish in Ireland, it has a very generous uh, research and development tax credit. So you can get 25% uh, tax credit on the expenditure on, on R&D. And this is very useful even for companies that are losing money. So if you're losing money, you're not you know, paying corporation tax or what good is a tax credit. But in, in Ireland, you can actually get a, a cash refund from the government, from the revenue uh, based on, on the expenditure. This is very useful for companies in the startup stage when they're not actually making profits. So I suppose there, there are some of the reasons that make Ireland very attractive. No, that certainly would be a very important incentive. I'm curious, specifically the, the foreign companies that you work with, I'd be interested in hearing about that. Related to that, to, to what extent is the mix of companies that you, you are working with, to what extent are these companies representative of the types of foreign companies that are, that are doing business in Ireland? Sure, yeah. Well, at, at the moment, the uh, most common type of company our business coming from the US are is the companies involved in direct marketing or online sellers. So as you know, since COVID, uh, on, uh, the, the internet has been a, bi a big marketplace for companies. So these are the companies that are looking to get into Europe now. And where better to establish your, your uh, company but in Ireland, because you have that close proximity to basically a 500 million consumer market in Europe. And uh, many US companies, many of these direct marketing companies are establishing their uh, corporate structure in Ireland so that they can be close to, to that European market and uh, to take advantage of it. And of course, the European market is 50% larger than the US market. And uh, I think there's many US companies now I suppose awakening up to see to see the opportunities that there are, that there is in Europe, and um, we're helping many of those companies to to set up here in Ireland. Earlier, you mentioned the tax rate in Ireland of twelve point five percent. That's a good starting point, perhaps, to to talk about the importance of of tax planning to international companies. I I think that. Most businesses here in the U.S. they're familiar with with taxes; they have to pay them. But in many cases, it's it's just a it's just a matter of dealing with 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 U.S. tax. Especially smaller companies might might not be uh, aware of the potential, uh, at least for for companies for certain companies to to structure uh, to take advantage right of the of the differences in in tax rates in different jurisdictions to to set up more more favorable tax structures, um, in addition to, to generally uh, addressing this, this idea, perhaps you could offer some, some basic examples of, of how that might work, for example, for a company based elsewhere in Europe that might be able to, to take advantage of that favorable tax rate in Ireland. 
Sure. Yeah. Well, basically, any company that's established in Ireland uh, that is carrying out a trade, so it must be regarded as a trading activity. And if so, they're entitled to this 12.5% uh, rate of corporation tax. Now, there is another rate of, of 25%, uh, which is for like other types of businesses who are not engaged in a trade. So companies earning like passive income would have to pay 25%. But this trading activity is, is quite broad. And most companies do do qualify for this. And the management of, of IP and IP rights d- does qualify uh, as a trade and as such would be, uh, the profits would be taxed at 12.5%. And when you, I suppose, couple this with a company who is carrying out uh, research and development as well, uh, and that company is entitled to 25% tax credit, it really drives this uh, rate of corporation tax well below 12.5% and perhaps in some cases down to to 2% when you take all matters into consideration. And uh, companies who have IP in Ireland and who purchase IP, they're entitled to to get a tax write-off for this purchased IP or purchased goodwill. Uh, And these are all good reasons to... Uh, establish your company in Ireland and to get a better return, a better rate of after-tax return. Now, I suppose there is some pressure on this rate, this low rate that we have, and uh, especially coming from the US, as they're looking to introduce a new global minimum tax rate. And I understand that the Biden administration has proposed a rate of 21%. Now, it's highly unlikely that the Irish rate will go from 125 to 21%, but I expect there will be some movement over the coming years. They also expect that the Irish rate will be one of the lowest in, in the world when everything pans out. You know, certainly this idea of a global minimum rate is, is worth probably worth addressing in a, an episode of its own, but perhaps, hopefully I'm not, not putting you on the spot too much, but Let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, for me at least, it, it's an idea that that I find objectionable. Right? Part of that has to do with with some of my own background working for financial service uh, companies in Hong Kong that helped clients set up more more efficient uh, tax structures. Right? And I appreciate the the, the role that um, low tax jurisdictions play. So so it seems to me that it's almost in a way, you can. I look at at some of these efforts as a way to bring down other economies that haven't been as bold. For example, Ireland, in terms of opting for growth strategies that rely on low tax rates, so it's it's a way of of saying, well, we don't like that. You know, we think everyone should should follow our model, which you know is arguable whether it's 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 better or not so wonder if you had any any sort of big picture thoughts regarding regarding that prospect well i suppose here in ireland we, we have always defended our 12 and a half percent rate with with great vigor and every government every successful government has uh, done the same and we would be inclined to say to these other countries uh, who want us to put up our rate, that they should bring down their rate uh, to something close to ours, then there wouldn't be this uh, 
this disadvantage that they appear to have. So uh, I think the Irish government will defend their rate uh, as much as possible. But because of, I suppose, the new new global uh, taxation um, discussion, I certainly think there will be movement on our side. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think we'll still have a very attractive rate. Perhaps uh, this is also a good moment to talk more broadly about Ireland's economic miracle. I don't know how often the phrase is used, but um, we hear about the Celtic tiger and things of that sort. And I know that the tax rate is, is, is a part of that. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about some of the other factors that have contributed to Ireland's economic success in the past few decades. Yeah, well, I guess the Celtic tiger has been some time ago now at this stage, and we've gone through a, a, quite a recession since then. And, uh, you know, quite a, uh, we've lost quite a few banks because of poor, poor lending practices. And we had a property bubble. And I suppose we just had all those behind us when COVID hit. So certainly the Irish economy, like every other economy, is struggling now because of COVID and the effect that it's having on lots of different industries. You know, most retail is closed. Uh, tourism and entertainment is closed hospitality. But I think we're turning our corner there and these uh, these industries and business sectors will, will bounce back. And uh, only, only for the COVID, I'd say we were probably heading into another Celtic tiger era, uh, be that good or bad. But I think we're at a turning point now. And uh, this time next year, I think it will be quite positive. So on that note, how has Ireland weathered COVID? I mean, obviously, from a, from an economic perspective, countries around the world are are being impacted. But in terms of the management of the public health, I'd be very interested in in hearing your thoughts on on how Ireland has has been has been managing things. I mean, would you say the government has has done a a pretty good job um, compared to to other peers? Or, or perhaps the the opposite. Perhaps it, it has underperformed. I, I really have no idea about how how it's been in Ireland. Yeah, well, I suppose you know there are lots of challenges uh, for the government, like any government. And uh, I suppose you, public health, of course, is number one. Uh, and then I suppose secondly is the you know the business community how they supported supported that. And in general, I think people are quite happy how they've supported the business community. Uh, there are lots of government uh, grants and support for employees who have been uh, let off and also for the businesses themselves. So they're all getting uh, government support to keep them ticking over until they can uh, reopen. And I think most most businesses are, are, are happy enough with that and uh, they would like to see the government continue with those supports, even after they open up, because it is going to take some time for business to get back to, to where they were before COVID. Uh, as regards to public health, the, the, the main issue that the government has is the supply of the vaccine. So uh, we just simply have been, not been getting enough vaccine to roll out to the, the public in general. 
and we're certainly behind the US when it comes to uh, the, the percentage of people who have a vaccine at this stage. Uh, probably we're on the European average. Uh, and I'd say that we're, we're not close to half the population yet uh, having a vaccine, perhaps a, a third. Uh, but things are improving as we as we speak every every day and every week. Uh, those numbers are improving, and uh, I think by the end of the summer, most of the adult population uh, will have received a vaccine, and uh, hopefully things will be getting back to normal again. And in fact, in fact, from from next month, uh, many businesses are going to be allowed to, to reopen. Has there been any manufacturing of, of vaccines in Ireland? I know Ireland has um, a biotech sector, so I'm just I'm just curious as to as to whether there's been any any local production. As, as far as I'm aware, now there's no uh, vaccine manufactured in Ireland. It it's all imported uh, from the UK or Europe, and um, that's that's our that's our problem. I suppose we don't have a manufacturing base ourselves. Uh, we're relying on the likes of Pfizer, Moderna, and and uh, AstraZeneca, and other companies to uh, to supply us. And there has been b big issues with supply in Europe. Uh, generally speaking, we're not the only country uh, that who is 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 waiting for the supply to come in. It's quite it's quite a common problem. No, that certainly has been one of the of the big storylines, right? There's um a lot of room for improvement, certainly in the way we have done things here in the U.S. Um, and and just overall in terms of what our manufacturing strategies uh, overall or, or our policies are. But at the end of the day, right, that's been a something of a success story, right? The fact that we've managed to produce at least a, a good number of vaccines, and there's been pretty good pretty good progress. On that front, and I and, and for me at least, that that just highlights right the importance of retaining some of that manufacturing base and not outsourcing everything, right? I mean, there's there's a place for that certainly, but yeah, ultimately you need to be able to to produce at least critical goods, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's uh, an excellent situation to be in to have uh, your own vaccine being manufactured in your own country. It's uh, it can't get much better than that. Well, Joe, this has been a, a great conversation. Really glad to have someone from Ireland on the podcast. Finally, uh, it's a country that I've enjoyed visiting in the past, and, and certainly like to, to 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 read about about it and talk about it. So great to have you join us. Uh, before we let you go, I'd like to ask you for any recommendations uh, you might have for us. Anything you've read recently? Anything you've watched recently that you, you think is worth uh, passing on? Sure. Well, uh, if anybody is interested in uh, to read about Ireland uh, and its uh, position in, in the world and in the economy post-Brexit, there's a good book entitled Ireland and the EU Post-Brexit by a guy called Ray Bassett. So I think that's um, something you might have a look at. And as regards, as regards Brexit, there is a film called Brexit the Movie. It's a UK film and it's uh, quite entertaining. Both sound like excellent recommendations. Thank you very much for that. My own recommendation today is a newspaper article that I that I read uh, not long ago called "Bridging the Gulf: Why Greece Is Making New Friends in the Middle East." And it the title's a little bit misleading because it actually talks about quite a few countries and the new um, alliances that are being formed 
in, in, in the Middle East, uh, between Greece and, and the UAE and Israel. thought that was, that was very interesting. And it talks about what a post-American future might look like in, in, at least in the Middle East and in Europe. Um, we'll be providing a link to that as well as uh, Joe's recommendations. With that, Joe, I'd like to, to thank you once again for joining us. It was a real pleasure, and we look forward to, to having you on at another time. Sure. Thanks very much, Fred, and I hope we could meet in person sometime soon. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We look forward to connecting with you on social media to continue discussing developments in global law and business. This podcast was produced by Harris Bricken with executive producer Madeline Williams. Music composed by Stephen Schmidt. Tune in next week for another episode. We'll see you then.